Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center, Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Because of what we're seeing in the Middle East, is the threat of terrorism in the United States increased? Yes, I had a meeting this morning with the Homeland Security people, with the FBI, with, for the Situation Room for the better part of an hour to discuss how we make sure that we prevent a lone wolf and or any co- coordinated effort to try to do what was done in synagogues before, do what was done to Jews in the street. And so we're, 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 we're making a major effort to make sure that doesn't happen. President Biden on 60 Minutes last night, probably thinking about what happened in France. So a teacher was stabbed to death in France. France put 7,000 troops on the street. And, that, and they're a much smaller company, country than we are. 7,000 troops spread around the country to try to stop any more attacks based on what's going on in uh, Israel. Uh, the, the headline that they were using all the promos of Joe Biden last night was the uh, the clip where Scott Pelley said, hey, the war in Ukraine and now Israel, uh, can we handle both of these? He said, hell yeah, we can. We're the United States. We're the strongest country in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, something you definitely got to say. I hope it's true because there is a lot going on. Anyway. My main takeaway from that interview was, holy cow, is that guy old? Right. And he's uh, running for president of the United States. More on that in just a second. So some polling that oh, uh, we'll be talking. I want to talk about what proportional response means. 
How have I gotten to this age before I read somebody explain exactly what it means as opposed to the way they portray it in the media? Well, there are reasons for that, but stay tuned. Um, first, this polling on Joe Biden, the Hunter Biden thing. You remember that? So many things that haven't been talked about in a couple of weeks because of the horror going on in Israel and the fact that we might be at war with Iran and, you know, any day. A third of Americans think that the president behaved unethically but not illegally. Um, and then about 30%, 35% think he did something illegal. So 35% of Americans think the president did something illegal. 33% think he did something unethical, which gets you to, you know, two-thirds of Americans. Uh, you break it down by independent, and it's, it's about 33 quarters of independents think the president did something illegal or unethical the reason that matters is that helps inoculate trump for his shenanigans all over the place right Mm -hmm. yeah that's kind of a draw and then you go back to their other qualities and or policies right 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 so um that's that situation um as opposed to who's going to be running against joe biden who is a gazillion years old I was reading in the wide world of news uh, today about that very situation, some of the polling around that. Um, well, let me find my notes. Tease something. I thought it was interesting uh, that the 60 Minutes interview was introduced by Scott Pelley's voiceover, in which he pointed out without context that the president, whose lifelong stutter returns when he's tired, sat down to talk to us about right. And I was like, wow, that was a weird disclaimer. Right. And he didn't seem to stutter so much as just kind of trail off and ramble like a really, really old guy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, a nice job from the White House. Uh, when he when he when he when he talks funny and sounds like a really old man, that's uh, him. He's tired, a lot of stress, and the stutter comes back. Okay, I hear people say that all the time. I'm not hearing a stutter. I'm hearing no. a words that don't go in certain places and trailing off and slurring. Slurring. Yeah, yeah. it's not. It's not. I don't hear a stutter. I stand by my words. The idea of him being the nominee uh, at the end of next summer is uh, absurd. Come on. But as far as running against Joe Biden, Trump, in the wide world of news uh, today, uh, they write, Trump, one of the top political athletes ever to run for president in the modern age, has a strong, aggressive campaign team and a massive lead for the nomination nationally and in each of the early voting states. He would be tough to beat no matter what at this point. Uh, regardless of other uh, things that might happen. The 2024 rivals of the frontrunners are political dwarves, Lilliputians going up against a non-complacent Godzilla. And they get to one example. Well, that's, wait a minute. Now we're mixing fictions here. We got uh, Gulliver's Travels over here. We got Godzilla over there. This is uh, is madness. What, does Darth Vader not uh, wade into this at some point? (laughs) The latest illustration of just how overmatched Trump's rivals are comes from a hilarious story in the New York Times, not supposed to be hilarious, about how the top challengers are seeking to convince the fat cats to coalesce around their various campaigns at donor confab. So you've got particularly Nikki Haley and DeSantis out there trying to convince the money people, hey, name me the guy, send me the money. I'm the guy that can beat Trump. We got to quit, you know, with the split and all the money and everything. The story includes this from the New York Times. Nikki Haley announced the opening of her first office in Iowa and the addition of two staff members in the state, bringing her total to four. Wow, four. (laughs) Pointing out here that 
that's the, the, how you're going to get people excited with the fact that you have four paid staffers in one office? At this point in 2007, when a Barack Obama was taking on the Godzilla of Hillary Clinton, he had 40 offices in Iowa and 250 paid staff. Wow. I mean, it is just a almost nothing effort by Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis to try to take on Trump. Vegas has flipped their casino line, saying that Trump is now the favorite to win the 2024 election. And uh, the conclusion being here from Mark Halperin, I will say it again. If you saw the private Democratic polling, which he gets to see in the battleground states, you would reach the conclusion that Trump is currently the clear favorite to beat Joe Biden in the 2024 presidential race. Hmm. Partially because this the incumbent is getting is not getting younger, is not getting a new running mate is not getting inflation fears and anger uh, the way that they should understand across the country, is not getting better at talking his way into credit for his accomplishments, is not making people love Bidenomics, is not controlling the border, is not building enthusiasm for his candidacy, is not doing much to inspire full confidence that he can beat Trump, and is not withdrawing from the race to stand aside for another younger Democratic horse. And that's where we stand. Interesting. Halpern, you know, I'd like to talk to Halpern. He's a smart guy. Um, I just think he's going to step aside for a younger horse. Um, So now apparently that's a thing. Um, (laughs) Just not now. They really want to avoid the the chaos that they're seeing on the Republican side, uh, at least among the non-Trumpies. and, and and the Democratic Party, which has a long history of managing its primaries, they're going to manage it uh, during the convention. Grandpa's going to give up the keys. Well, so so your theory that, that Biden won't be the nominee, is that because he steps down or because they take it away from him? A, a combination of things. I, I think the pressure on him to step down is going to be so enormous that he has to. Who's going to tell him this? Who's going to come talk but, to him and say, you got to step down? But the, the one thing I don't know is, uh, is Joe Biden 10% of the way there toward, man, I can't serve again? Or is he 90% of the way there? Or more likely somewhere in between? Uh, the Democratic uh, power brokers, the, uh, the money people, the, the behind-the-scenes str- string pullers. You think they'll sit, say to him, sit down with the President of the United States somewhere, Oval Office, Air Force One, somewhere, and say, look, you got to step down. Wow, that'd yes. be a heck of a thing. Yes. It was your fault. You have a moron VP who nobody wants. You can't win. <laughs> I doubt they're going to be that blunt. Well, they'll probably dress it up a little bit, but that's that'll be their message. You have a moron VP. You're polling terribly. You're slipping mentally. Your vice president is utterly unelectable. If you want your legacy, sir... To continue, you need to step aside in favor of one of the usual suspects that we usually discuss. If you want Donald Trump to undo everything you have painstakingly built, then stay in the race. That'll be the message. Oh, that's a good one. If, uh, you know, I, I likely want, not likely want, I do want right-leaning policies. But to get those, I would prefer to run against Biden. So I don't want him to step down or not be the nominee. But uh, if the polling continues the way it is, the Vegas line flipping to Trump and all that sort of stuff, that's your best argument. Look, 
I think you're great. I think the country is not understanding what you accomplished. But the fact is this. Look at these polls. I think that's your best argument. Then it's not you. It's just this is this is the reality. For whatever reason, this is what people feel. Right. right. You'll, you're you're going to hailed lose. as a hero, sir, by handing uh, the ball or the baton to a younger, uh, stronger person. Yeah, and you get all the, 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 the glory throughout life is of basically being a two-term president as opposed to having the whole... Jimmy Carter, H.W. Bush, one term you ran again and lost thing. Right, right. On the other hand, if you're a fan of Trump's policies, but the man himself wears you out and you realize there will be chaos and division and and horror, uh, keep Joe Biden in office. The Biden effect is Trump's policies are getting more and more and more popular. For instance, the number of people who support building a border wall on the southern border is the highest it's ever been. It's 57 to 40 now up significantly and that's not just for con- for controlling immigration that's actually building a wall yeah <laughs> wow yeah and i'm sure if you uh you know pulled other measures those would be equally high yeah the point is yeah we got to get control of this and get control of it uh, quickly so again i don't know Bidenomics, less and less popular every single day. Uh, of course, you know, I'm only half kidding. I think 15 months more of his policies will be more than enough for everybody to to learn what they need to learn. Well, you remember, mentioned in the Wall Street Journal last hour, they did have a headline yesterday that the group of economists they talked to, the, the preponderance of people think we will not have a recession at this point. It is now flipped to most people think we won't have a recession. So that's good news for Joe Biden. And good news for me. I don't want a recession. Right, right. Yeah, I would agree. Although, given the uh, swirling winds of uncertainty that characterize our times, uh, I have about as much faith in those predictions as I do as when all the former coaches and players and uh, that unnecessarily large panel inform you who's going to win the, the next football game to come onto the TV. Gotcha. They might be right. <laughs> Speaking of which, the mock... Uh, NFL show thing they did on Saturday Night Live I thought was really good. thought that was oh, very I funny. That. that was their first sketch of the show. thought that was very, very funny. Keenan Thompson as uh, Deion Sanders was hilarious. Um, the old SWAU, swirling winds of uncertainty. <laughs> That's what we got to watch out for. What is you going to do? What is a proportional response? That's what you're going to hear people howling about or already howling about with Israel and... Uh, and uh, Gaza and Hamas and the Palestinians, among other things on the way. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER.
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Somebody sent this to me over the weekend. It's a joke. It's probably old. I've probably heard it before, but forgotten it because I got Joe Biden brain. But here it is. I tried donating blood today. Never again. Too many stupid questions. Whose blood is it? Where did you get it from? Why is it in a bucket? <laughs> oh, man. That is funny. A guy told me a joke uh, over the weekend that made me guffaw. It's too long to tell on the air, but I also came across this very short joke, which I loved. <laughs> oh, it's so good. I got to get that. Can I even get through it? Guy passes away. There's a wake. People get up to speak about their friendship with him. And uh, finally, the widow at the end says, is there anybody else who'd like to uh, say anything? A man stands up. He says, uh, may I say a word? And she said, go ahead. He says, plethora. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, she says, thank you so much. That means a lot to me. <laughs> oh, it's it's wordplay. <laughs> How funny is that? Yeah, boy. <laughs> Honey, much more serious note. Why is it in a bucket? <laughs> oh, I love that joke. So, so funny. Uh, Iran's foreign ministry claimed that Hamas was ready to release its hostages if Israel ceases its airstrikes along the Gaza Strip. Okay, sure they are. Sure that. Thank you for your honest brokering, you scumbags. Uh, speaking of which... The uh, Alicia Finley, writing a piece, points out that back in 2017, when old uh, DJ Trump blamed both sides, quote unquote, for violence at Charlottesville, Virginia, that's not exactly what he said, but I, I've always said he was misquoted on that. But uh, everybody, including the SEIU, the Service Employees International Union, went crazy. Uh, President Trump's remarks yesterday were reprehensible. He doubled down on blaming both sides for the hatred, bigotry, and violence rather than standing up to the white supremacists and their racist, anti-immigrant, anti-Semitic, that's interesting, and anti-LGBTQ views. Now, uh, there's plenty of crap in that statement, but the point is they came out strong. Six months later, or six years later, rather, Ms. Finley writes, Ms. Henry and others on the left are equivocating and blaming both sides for Hamas's terrorist war against Israel. The violence in Israel and Palestine is unconscionable. SEIU stands with all who are suffering, while strongly condemning anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, and hate in all forms. You don't think anti-Irish sentiment was a big factor in the slaughter, sweetheart. I don't think you have to worry about that, really. Mr. Trump's opponents accused him of empowering neo-Nazis, but Hamas's jihad against Israel has exposed that the fiercest anti-Semites are on the left. Perhaps that's because, and I think she's right in this, left-wing activists view Israel's economic prosperity and Gaza's poverty through an anti-capitalist lens, mm. which holds that all wealth came from exploitation. So here's uh, some other things SEIU folks said. 
Uh, the SEIU. I don't, I don't know if I've ever heard anybody state that, but that's clearly a lot of it. Mm-hmm. You've got gleaming buildings and houses and cars, so you obviously got that doing by doing something bad. And if you're poor, you obviously got there because somebody put you there. There's always the story. Right, and uh, as uh, Alicia points out, young liberals increasingly view disparate systems as synonymous, uh, the, the economic part and the social part. They evidently believe that Israel's relative affluence derives from its exploitation of poor Palestinians. They forget or never learn that during its first few decades, modern Israel was socialist and quite poor. But here's what the SEIU Starbucks Workers United Affiliate in Chicago tweeted. The apartheid state of Israel is continuing to break international law and wage horrific crimes against humanity. We unwaveringly stand with the families and children of Palestine. The labor movement must support liberation for all and fight all forms of oppression. Another tweet from the SEIU. Freeing Palestine was never going to be flowers and baby animals. What the blank did you expect? Uh, another one, this is a leader in Connecticut. Our bosses, wow. our government want us to think Hamas are enemies of working class people, but they are not. Our enemies are the CEOs. Our comrades in Gaza, he added, or, or our comrades are in Gaza, and he denounced capitalism, colonialism, and occupation. That's the SEIU for you. Boy, that one uh, that one comment was horrifying. Uh, I want to talk more about that and what proportionality means, because that's going to be a big part of the story in the next couple of days. Armstrong and Getty. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So first of all, we saw in that compilation of weapons that were found, we found the Hamas handbook, which essentially is like Mein Kampf. It's laying out the wholesale slaughter premeditated destruction of the Jewish people. That's what that is. Based on their weaponry, they were willing and ready to stay here and embed themselves inside the soil. We can see there's been multiple terror attacks last night that were thwarted, but we've managed to continue to go after their main forces. Sinwar, who is essentially today's Osama bin Laden, Hamas is like ISIS. We've managed to target two of his top commanders, including one of them that planned the attack on our southern community. That's an Israeli commander saying they found one of the playbooks there for Hamas and what they're planning to do and what their goals are and all that sort of stuff. And uh, I wonder, did Hamas run that by their 
Jags their lawyers to make sure that all of that fit in with international law before they hmm. launched their beheadings of babies campaign. Uh, which brings me to this. So I was reading a couple of different things over the weekend about proportional responses. You've already heard some of that probably in the news if you've been following this of Israel reacting disproportionately if they go in and you know level Gaza or whatever. And uh, and and well, I learned some things I didn't know. But before we get to that, uh, and obviously Hamas does not worry about those things or have to worry about those things. That's always the problem for the United States. It's always pissed me off. And for Israel also is you have to play by all these different kinds of rules and the other side gets to do whatever the hell they want. And it's just it's tough. It's tough to win in those situations. You're held to a certain very high standard, which I'm fine with. But but the other side is not ever for whatever reason. Well, I think we know the reasons we've gone through them a couple of different times. It doesn't work and never has worked in the history of human conflict from a bar fight to a war. Either both sides follow the quote-unquote rules or neither does i was listening to a jonah goldberg podcast over the weekend he's with the dispatch and he's obviously got a very jewish sounding name uh but he was uh, talking about the uh the way it's presented all the time between for instance hamas and israel this collective punishment thing this came up on several of the talk shows i was watching yesterday so the palestinians have to pay a collective punishment for what hamas did uh, okay, well, you can look at that however you want, but the babies that were beheaded, weren't they getting collective punishment for whatever Israel has done over the years? I mean, again, it's, so it's just... You have different rules for different sides? Remarkably one-sided, yeah, yeah. clearly. Anyway, so this was from the National Review about the proportional response. I want to speak up in defense of the just war doctrine of proportionality, which is popularly misunderstood. It is not traditionally understood as hitting an enemy in a likewise manner that they have hit you or to the same degree or severity or inflicting a similar number of casualties. I was surprised to see that because I thought that's exactly what it meant. David it's the way it's used. You would get that idea. Yeah. It's the way it's used in the media all the time. David French went on to write about it in a, a New York Times column over the weekend. As the war continues and as the destruction mounts, you will hear a number of voices condemn Israel for a disproportionate response. But many of these critics fundamentally misunderstand what proportionality means in the law of war. And then he goes through the U.S. Army's uh, the field manual and where it comes from and international law and all that sort of stuff. David French had the same job that um, governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis had, where you're a lawyer and you're embedded with troops in a firefight and they come to you and say, here's our situation. Can we do this or not? Is it legal or not? That's the way we have to fight. Mm. And man, you have to make some brutal decisions. French mentioned in his New York Times piece, a couple that he made, one correctly and one not correctly, where they had um, some American troops headed down the road they, they were picking up on the radar or the heat sensor or whatever that a bunch of guys were laying in a ditch, which is the way we had been attacked over and over in Iraq, killing a bunch of our guys. Did we have enough information to strike them or not? He determined as the lawyer, no, we don't, and was hoping he was right. Turned out it was a bunch of scared kids who saw tanks coming and hid in the ditch, and we would have killed oh, a whole wow. bunch of innocent kids. Oy. But he also tells of the opposite story, where he, he made the opposite call and a good friend of his died because he decided we didn't have what we needed to fire at that moment. 
and a good friend of his wow. died. You got to make those calls on a daily basis. Imagine how that would wear out your psyche. I, I recall conversations with Afghanistan vets talking about the remember that period when we were winning hearts and minds and the rules of engagement were incredibly strict and we lost a lot of guys because they had to wait till they were under fire to defend themselves. Horrible. But back to the proportional thing. Um, if you're a soldier on patrol and someone fires at you with a rifle, you don't have to respond with a rifle. You can use a tank round or a missile in response. Unless you have a reason to believe the tank round or missile will cause extraordinary collateral damage. That would be the disproportionate part. But the way you attack them, that's why we legally can drone strike people. They might be walking around with a machine gun, and we hit them with a you know a Hellfire missile coming from a drone 30,000 feet in the sky. We can do that because, well, you're allowed to take them out as a threat however you want. It doesn't have to be proportionate. Um, just as long as you're not doing a disproportionate amount of collateral damage at the time. Uh, if you're taking fire from a single house, proportionally, proportionality prohibits you from destroying the entire block. Throughout the war on terrorism, American forces used powerful, longer-range weapons to attack individual targets that does not violate the laws of war, which is what Israel is attempting to do. In reality, inflicting disproportionate casualties is one of the goals of a fighting force. Obviously, that's how you win. Ukraine appears to have inflicted substantially greater um, casualties on Russia than the Russian army has inflicted on Ukraine. That doesn't mean Ukraine's response was disproportionate under the law of armed conflict. In every fight, the goal is to inflict as many losses as possible on your opponent while taking as few losses as possible. There's similar public uh, ignorance problem with the concept of distinction which is the law of land of warfare, defined as requiring combatants to distinguish between combatants and military objectives on the one hand and civilians and civilian objects on the other hand, offense and defense. This would get to killing Hamas versus innocent Palestinians. Well, and that's the rub, I think, given Hamas's uh, tendencies in Gaza. This is where people are getting concerned. Right. Distinction requires soldiers to separate themselves from civilians by wearing uniforms, for example, or by fighting by fighting from marked military vehicles. It prohibits militaries from fighting places like hospitals, schools, and mosques. Ham- Hamas disregards the principle of distinction. Its fighters take aim from civilian buildings while wearing civilian clothes and using civilian vehicles. This presents an attacking military with targeting problems. It is easy to identify, say, an armored personnel carrier as a military vehicle, but what if there are four Toyota Tacomas in the street and one is full of Hamas fighters? Here is the point, David French writes. When Hamas abandons the principle of distinction, then Hamas is legally responsible for the civilian damage that results. If Hamas fights from a hospital or stores munitions in a hospital, damage to that hospital is Hamas's responsibility, not just like ethically, morally, but legally under the laws of warfare in the world. But the press does not report it that way. If Hamas fighters shoot at Israeli defense forces from a home that contains a Palestinian family, then Hamas is responsible for the civilian casualties if that family is harmed in the resulting exchange of fire. And then getting back to the proportionality thing, they can attack that house with whatever they got to do to take out that house. Yeah, Those I think just, that's just the law. I think where we end up from, you know, if this were a political science class, I would say... Uh, number one, no great inflation around here. Get to work, you little weasels. Um, secondly, 
what the argument would be from the other side is, all right, those laws were written up by traditional military powers, often uh, guerrilla forces, uh, forces of liberation, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, don't, they don't have those resources, so they don't act like that. And by the way, I would tell the, the plucky little youngsters in my class, the inability or unwillingness of the press to report those distinctions and put the responsibility where it lies is what the guerrilla groups are counting on. They are delighted to show pictures of dead and injured civilians. They count on it. In fact, there are plenty of cases recently where Hamas has, has uh, cooked some up where they didn't have good enough ones from reality. So, yeah, they know what they're doing. Yeah, well, that first part is obviously true. They're they're fighting by their standards and uh, and doing what they feel like they got to do. But just look for the press reporting, and you'll and you'll hear. I heard once over the weekend, at least you'll hear more in coming days, probably, where people start throwing around the term war crimes. Many believe this could be a war crime. Well, in the, some of the specific cases I was just talking about, it absolutely, like legally speaking, is not a war crime. So don't be right. throwing around that term when it's not. Well, and that's knowable, too. They just choose not to know it. Willful ignorance on the the part of the media. I knew the stuff about the uniforms and all that, but I did not know about the proportionality. That is not used correctly in 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 reporting parlance all the time. Right. And on a practical level, if uh, I don't know, just to keep it really simple, if uh, country A uh, attacks country B and destroys a town, for instance, the idea that country B can only destroy a town in country A is ridiculous because it's in country B's interest to end it all as soon as possible. So, of course, you're going to try to inflict more damage than was done on you. Again, the media ill-serving us, as usual. You, you can't, at the same time, though, make the argument that the uh, innocent Palestinians are not responsible for their government or their government's action, the government being Hamas, while being okay with Hamas by saying, well, the Israelis got what they had coming. The babies got what they had coming? They're responsible for their government? Yeah, yeah. Again, the... The lens of principle is uh, remarkable on how it stops right at uh, Israel's border, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, they're super concerned on one side, but not the other. Uh, Coming up, a couple of things. The unbelievable amount of intelligence Hamas had on Israel's military and their installations, they have a serious uh, investigation to do. And then completely different next hour, want to kick it off with this new study that's out about why our kids are all crazy and anxious and depressed and overwhelmed by life love that story and i've got from the wall street journal the taylor swift economy which i originally had thought okay it's just you gotta have something that ties in with taylor swift because it's really quite amazing her effect on well first of all on her economy oh my god and then on the national economy an economy of a city you want taylor swift to bring her tour to your town wow People Should be, she be getting Secret Service protection? People are going to be vying for Taylor Swift concerts the way people argue for getting the Olympics in the future, mm. I think. Anyway, all mm. that on the way. Text line 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Scientists in Europe are studying a skeleton that they say is rewriting the history of syphilis. The skeleton is better known by its stage name, Russell Brand. Oh. No. Oh. I've heard of Russell Brand. Wow. So you have, uh, can you hit us with another joke while we're doing Saturday Night Live back after the writer's strike? This was a terrible week for the world, but a great week for random idiots who like to share completely unhinged thoughts wherever they can. (laughs) And weirdly, it's not even on social media anymore. I saw a thousand word essay called How I'd Fix Palestine, (laughs) and it was posted in a Yelp review of a Buffalo Wild Wings. (laughs) (laughs) What? Anyway, Saturday Night Live, I thought it was pretty funny. I liked a lot of sketches that had nothing to do with politics, which I know disappoints the politics people, but that's what I want. I want non-politics-related sketches, a comedy sketch show that has nothing to do with... Anyway, uh, there were a number of comments made about Taylor Swift, and uh, her boyfriend made an appearance briefly on one of the sketches and that sort of stuff, which leads me to this. The Wall Street Journal about the Taylor Swift economy. I'd heard this a couple of places, and I thought, all right. You're uh, kind of over, over-egging the pudding, as Ian Bremmer would say, but it's really something. We'll start with how much money did she make personally. Taylor Swift, personally, this is after she gets her cut from the tour, which they're saying is the most lucrative concert tour in U.S. history. They never adjust for inflation, but I wouldn't be surprised if it just isn't flat-out true regardless. She personally is expected to take $4.1 billion out of this tour. One concert tour. That's unbelievable. That's literally, it's incomprehensible. It is. One concert tour. She was already wealthy, but... The impact of the Eras tour extends far beyond what she takes home. They did a survey here to figure out how much money was spent. $93 million was spent by fans per show. That includes tickets, of course, but also merchandise, travel, hotels, food, buying clothes. Buying clothes to go is a big deal. Add all that up. By the end of the U.S. tour, you've got a $5.7 billion boost to the country's economy. They broke it down by regions. In Los Angeles, 
where Swift performed six shows, the California Center for Jobs and the Economy predicted a $320 million boost to the county because of those six shows. Hmm. That's amazing. You definitely want Taylor. If she's deciding, should we go to Denver? We went last year. Let's do... Let's do Kansas City instead. You, you got to be. It's like I said. It's like trying to get the Olympics. You got to be bribing her, or sending her gifts, or whatever. Like getting a giant convention. Sure. When she visited Kansas City over July, remember I was there at the time, and my niece and a bunch of friends paid. I don't remember how many hundreds of dollars to sit in the parking lot. They didn't even have tickets to the concert. This is just to buy the we're in the parking lot tickets. Anyway, in, when she was in Kansas City, an estimated forty-eight million dollar impact from the tour's July stop. In Colorado, they predicted a boom from her Denver performances would add up to $140 million statewide. That's really quite amazing. If you break it down by an individual concert goer uh, who spent $1,279 on average for each attendance of the concert. Wow. Yeah. So your kid's going to go to the concert and on average you're going to spend 1300 bucks. That's with tickets, but... Food and drinks, 106. Tickets, 400 because the tickets are so expensive. Outfits, over $200, $234. You'll spend $159 on merch on average for a total of about $1,300 per concert goer. That's quite amazing. The argument that you hear about sports teams and whether they return on the investment a city or a county makes is generally that, well, yeah, people spend a lot of money there, but it's just money that's taken from other entertainment options. So it's not really added to the economy. I think the Taylor Swift thing is different in that it was seen as such a giant event. It was more like your team is in the playoffs. Uh, right. Then, uh, then, well, of course, you know, your team's only going to play one to seven games, depending on what sport you're talking about. But, you know, she could play as many concerts as she could stand. So, yeah, I, I think given the the gusher of money people are, were willing to spend on this in a way that they wouldn't be willing to spend on some other act that comes to town. Yeah, I think it probably is an actual addition. She's going to make another giant chunk of money from that concert movie that came out over the weekend, of course. Although I doubt, does she pay any attention to how much money she's making at all at this point? $4.1 billion personally from that concert tour. That is a I think she's probably amount of money. the CEO of a corporation and wants it to do well, so she's paying oh, sure. attention to yeah. it. But yeah. Uh, I wonder, I haven't seen this, what was the percentage of people who would have bought a ticket who could get their greasy mitts, I'm sorry, probably their well-powdered and manicured mitts, uh, on those tickets? Did she sell two-thirds of the tickets uh, that were demanded by her market? Did she sell a tenth of them? Uh, I don't know. I'm just thinking about how well this movie could do because it'll it'll you know set records. I'm sure. Or lots of people that went to the concert and want to see the you know here's the movie about the concert I went to. It's like you know when your team's in the playoffs and you want to watch the little documentary about it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, when they calculate how many shows they're going to do in a town, I think when they're in Kansas City they did two, L.A. they did six. That's a lot of shows. That's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, it is. I like the people who have to say, Taylor Swift sucks. Her music is not that good. I mean, she's pretty typical, blah, blah, blah. You don't get it. I was trying to have that conversation with my boys, and particularly my 13-year-old son, whose favorite word is sucks. Everything sucks. Mm. <laughs> well, he's, he's more right than he's wrong. Back to you. <laughs> if you're a teenager, everything, nothing's cool. Everything sucks. Right. This sucks. That sucks. Yeah. Everything sucks. Yeah. They suck. <laughs> this music sucks. Like, 
Cardi B, I get nothing out of her music. Nothing. I recognize pretty well crafted, but it's not for me. And that's okay. Right. I was trying to explain to my son that no, I'm not into this because I'm into Taylor Swift music. It's an amazing uh, business story. It's just incredible. Sure. Yeah. Art and commerce coming together and making some people crazy rich. I wish I'd come up with it. We got a lot more on the big stories of the day coming up. If you miss a segment, get the podcast Armstrong and Getty on the band. Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.